0: Eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Hello. Eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Oh, so much to get to in so little time. You know, ladies and gentlemen. Former Attorney General William Barr used to be hated by the media, hated by the Democrats, attacked by the Never Trumpers, and now he's celebrated. He's adored newspapers today from one end of the country to the other, saying the same thing as is typical. He might be the star witness in a criminal trial against Donald Trump. And if you watch the clip of Bill Barr during the questioning in the closed session away from the public, he was pretty cocky. Ah, oh, he was cussing away, having a good old time, sliding around in his seat. And they wanted more, and he gave them more. And he wanted more yet, they did, and he gave them more yet. I'm going to read something to you. I want to read something to you that not a single person interviewing Bill Barr about his book has asked him, to my knowledge. I want to read you a letter dated June 9, 2021, June 9, 2021, almost exactly a year ago, public record, from the former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, that would include Philadelphia, William M. McSwain, former U.S. attorney, Dear, and he was seeking President Trump's endorsement for uh, elected office, Governor. Dear President Trump, it was my great honor to serve as U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania in your administration. You asked me to prioritize public safety, and that is exactly what I did. While Larry Krasner, the radical leftist Philadelphia District Attorney, was letting violent criminals go and refusing to prosecute rioters, looters, and arsonists, our office was putting them in jail and standing up for law-abiding citizens. In the spring of 2020, I prosecuted and won an election fraud case against a judge of elections in South Philadelphia, I mentioned this yesterday, who was stuffing the ballot box. I also charged the political consultant, a former Democratic congressman who was paying bribes to the judge to stuff the ballot box. President Trump, this is the U.S. attorney, You were right to be upset about the way the Democrats ran the 2020 election in Pennsylvania. It was a partisan disgrace. You haven't heard this man's testimony. The governor, the secretary of the Commonwealth, the partisan state Supreme Court made up their own rules and did not follow the law. Even worse, the state attorney general, Josh Shapiro, the very person responsible for the enforcement of state election law, declared days before Election Day that you could not win the election. It would be hard to imagine a more irresponsible statement by a law enforcement officer, especially during a hotly contested election. In light of such statements, it's hardly surprising that many Pennsylvanians lack faith in our state's election results. Now, here's the key paragraph. On Election Day and afterwards, our office, meaning the U.S. Attorney's Office, receive various allegations of voter fraud and election irregularities. As part of my responsibilities as U.S. attorney, I wanted to be transparent with the public and, of course, investigate fully any allegations. Attorney General Barr, however, instructed me not to make any public statements or put out any press releases regarding possible election irregularities. I was also given a directive to pass along serious allegations to the state attorney general for an investigation, the same state attorney general who had already declared that you could not win. I disagreed with that decision, but those were my orders. As a Marine infantry officer, I was trained to follow the chain of command and to respect the orders of my superiors, even when I disagree with them. Mr. President, he writes, Public service is in my blood, and I would like to serve the people of Pennsylvania and restore conservative leadership in our state. And he goes on, Once elected governor, one of my first priorities would be to modernize Pennsylvania's election process and protect the right of all Pennsylvania citizens to cast a legitimate vote. That means no ballot harvesting, undated ballots, unsigned ballots, Ballots collected after election day and other legitimate military and overseas al- other than legitimate overseas military and overseas absent ballots, obstacles to poll watchers observing the counting of ballots, different rules in different counties, and of course no ballot stuffing of the kind I previously prosecuted. It also means responsible voter ID legislation, ensuring people's confidence in elections should be a nonpartisan issue. and short, sure, we have a responsibility to make it easy to vote, but hard, if not impossible, to cheat. That is how we respect the will of the people and how the best and most deserving candidates win. Now, William M. McSwain, former U.S. attorney, Eastern District of Pennsylvania, as I said, that includes Philadelphia. Bill Barr says he never did this the former U.S. attorney says, oh, yes, he did. Now, this is why you have opposition. This is why you have contrary witnesses. This is why you have true hearings with both political parties represented. This is why you have depositions with staff lawyers for the Republican Party present as well as the Democrat Party. Bill Barr has said a thousand times he's aware of no systemic fraud. We have a U.S. attorney, formally, who said that he was told to stand down. Quote, Barr instructed me not to make any public statements or put out any press releases regarding possible election irregularities. I wanted to be transparent with the public and, of course, investigate fully any allegations. I was also given a directive to pass along serious allegations to the state attorney general for investigation. The same state attorney general had already declared that you could not win. And, by the way, he's running for governor. Excuse me, running for... uh, I guess it's Senator. No, no, Governor. Governor, sorry. So here this sits. And Barr is going around doing a Bill Barr Narcissist tour. He's showing up on Sonogram. He's showing up on Airport Radar. Been interviewed at Hoover. Been interviewed all over cable TV. Nobody's asked him about this. How about Mr. McSwain? Is he a liar? The former, why would he make this up? That's pretty specific. And it is also consistent. Consistent. With a call that was made to his office. call that was made to his office about irregularities taking place in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. And his office never responded. Never. It's all BS, don't you know? We were supposed to chase every so-called allegation around? This is your U.S. attorney, Mr. Barr. Was he a kook? Apparently he wasn't a kook up to this point. Was he lying? That's your suggestion, isn't it? I don't think he's lying at all. I think this is exactly what you told them. You got an issue, send it to the state attorney general. And don't put out any public statements. Because we don't want to undermine the narrative, you know. I'm not going to make personal invitations, but if Mr. Barr would like to come on the program and explain this, or Mr. McSwain, or better yet, both of them at the same time, I'll give the floor so 14 and a half million people can hear what you have to say. This is a very damning letter, June 9, 2021. Again, in relevant part, because the propaganda has been thick and constant. On election day and afterwards, the U.S. attorney, our office received various allegations of voter fraud and election irregularities. I thought there weren't any. Isn't that what the committee told us yesterday through their one witness? Isn't that what Bill Barr said on video? Well, it's <laughs> part of my responsibilities as U.S. attorney, I wanted to be transparent with the public. And, of course, investigate fully any allegations. Attorney General Barr, however, instructed me not to make any public statements or put out any press releases regarding possible election irregularities. Remember I said, how would Bill Barr know? Did they do some kind of universal oversight or reporting system? No, they didn't. I was also given a directive to pass along serious allegations to the state attorney general for investigation. The same state attorney general who had already declared you could not win. I disagreed with that decision, but those were my orders. But the Stalinist committee... The so called January 6th committee, with every member having to be approved and signed off by Nancy Pelosi, not a single opposition member, not a single opposition witness, and on and on and on. Seems to me this is worthy of pursuit. But it won't be pursued. Barr will say it's a lie, and that'll be the end of it. He already has. And apparently, that's the end of it. I'll be right back. Mark Lubin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why I'm primus. Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty is so important. And Primus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for hillsdale.com. WABC is really kicking butt, by the way. We've got uh, Cats at Night. Then me, of course, Mark Levin show. Then we have Bill O'Reilly and Rita Cosby. Dominic Carter, Frank Marano. The number one evening and overnight shows. Did you see this, Mr. Producer? It's fantastic. All right, here we go. By the way, number one prime time again, I want to thank everybody on Fox. That's pretty much where we are. Number one prime time on Sundays. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we've had some rough campaigns for president in the past. But nobody's been indicted. Nobody. Like the uh, campaigns of John Adams... And particularly John Adams and Jefferson. Does this interest anybody? Campaign of 1796 and the campaign of 800. What do you think, Mr. Producer? From the Miller Center. We only have a few minutes here, but throughout Washington's presidency, Adams, who was the vice president, viewed himself as the heir apparent. Indeed, that alone explains his willingness to endure eight years in the vice presidency, he writes James Taylor, an office devoid of power. And when Washington, in his farewell address, published in September 1796 and announced his intention to retire, the nation faced its first contested presidential election. The Federalist members of Congress caucused and nominated John Adams and Thomas Pinckney, a South Carolinian who had soldiered and served President Washington as a diplomat as their choices for president. That's two. The Democratic Republicans in Congress likewise met and named Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr of New York, who had served in the Continental Army and the United as, as United States Senator early in Washington's presidency as their choices. So each party named two presidential candidates because under the original Constitution, before the Twelfth Amendment, Each member of the Electoral College was to cast two ballots for president. The winner of the presidential election was the individual who received the largest number of votes. It constituted a majority of the votes cast. The person receiving the second largest numbers, whether or not it was a majority, was to be the vice president. In the event that no candidate received a majority of votes or that two candidates tied with a majority of votes... The House of Representatives was to decide the election with each state, regardless of size, having a single vote. Okay, so the foundation is laid. Stick with me. You'll now learn more history than you ever learned in public school. I'll be right back. To get your free subscription, go to LevinForHillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for hillsdale.com.
1: This is the Ministry of Truth, The Mark Levin Show. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Say
0: so you have four candidates running for president, two from each party. The one who comes in first is the president. The one who comes in second is the vice president, even if they're from different parties. When the contest began in full force in the late summer of 1796, only Aaron Burr, out of the four candidates, waged an active campaign. Supporters of the four candidates, however, campaigned vigorously. The Federalist Press labeled Jefferson a Francophile, questioned his courage during the War of Independence, and charged that he was an atheist. Adams was portrayed as a monarchist and an Anglophile, was secretly bent on establishing a family dynasty by having his son succeed him as president. Adams also had trouble in his own camp. Rumors swirled that his chief rival for leadership among the Federalists, Alexander Hamilton, secretly favored Pickney as he'd be more malleable than Adams. Many believe that Hamilton sought to have some Federalist electors withhold their votes from Adams so that Pickney would outpoll him. In the end, Adams won by a three-vote margin. Although virtually all of Adams' votes came from northern electors, all of Jefferson's votes virtually came from southern electors, Adams won largely because of the votes of two southern electors. The Virginia elector from a county with a strong tradition of opposition to planter aristocrats voted for Adams, as did an elector from a commercial district in coastal North Carolina. Jefferson received the second-largest number of votes, making him the vice president. So the nation would have a president from one party and a vice president from another. Then we have the campaign of 1800. Adams faced a difficult re-election campaign in 1800. The Federalist Party was deeply split over his foreign policy. Many had opposed his decision to send envoys to Paris in 1799 some because they feared it would result in national humiliation for the United States, others because they hoped to maintain the quasi-war crisis for partisan ends. And early in 1800, Adams fired two members of his cabinet, Timothy Pickering, the Secretary of State, and James McHenry, the Secretary of War, uh, both for their failure to support his foreign policy. So that alienated a number of Federalists and the revisions within his party the differences between the Federalists and Republicans had become white hot Jeffersonians were furious over the creation of a standing army the new taxes and the alien and sedition acts and as in 1796 the Federalist members of Congress caucused in the spring of 1800 they nominated Adams and Charles Coatsworth Pickney of South Carolina an officer in the Continental Army a member of the Constitutional Convention and a part of the diplomatic commission that Adams sent to France. The Federalists did not designate a choice for the presidency, but asked their presidential electors to cast their two votes for Adams and Pickney. The Democratic-Republicans, meanwhile, nominated Jefferson and Burr, their candidates in the previous presidential election, but designated that they wanted Jefferson as their choice for president. The Federalists depicted Jefferson as a godless non-believer and a radical revolutionary. He was often called a Jacobin, after the most radical faction in France during the French Revolution. This election it was charged would bring about a reign of terror in the nation. The Republicans cast Adams as a monarchist, and the Federalist Party as the enemy of Republicanism. The level of personal attack by both parties knew no bounds. At one point, Adams was accused of plotting to have his son marry one of the daughters of King George III, to establish a dynasty to unite Britain and the U.S. The plot had been stopped, according to the story, only by the intervention of George Washington. Jefferson, meanwhile, was accused of conducting bizarre ritualistic rites at Monticello, his home in Virginia. And yet one of Adams' greatest foes in this election, a Federalist Party member as well as Adams, Alexander Hamilton. And he published a pamphlet in which he argued that Adams should not be reelected. Now, why did they despise each other, particularly Hamilton, against Adams? Because Adams didn't buy into all of Hamilton's economic uh, prescriptions. Now, Hamilton charged that Adams was emotionally unstable as president, given to impulsive and irrational decisions, unable to coexist with his closest advisors, generally unfit to be president. Failing Hamilton's scheme to elect Pickney, he worked to persuade all the Federalist presidential electors from the North to vote for the party's two nominees, Adams and Pickney. While he tried to convince some Southern electors to withhold their votes from Adams, that would enable Pickney to outpoll Adams. But Hamilton's scheme failed. Not only did numerous New England Federalists, who were pro-Adams, withhold their second vote from Pickney, But the Federalist ticket was outpolled by their Democrat-Republican rivals. Pickney finished fourth in the balloting. Adams stood third in the electoral votes. While Jefferson and Burr tied for first place with 73 votes. And I'll just describe what happened next. Burr decided he wanted to be president. Now remember, any of them could have been. But there was sort of this deal that they would make. And Burr decided, you know what, I want to be president. The nation had divided once again along sectional lines. Eighty-six percent of Adams' votes were cast by Northerners; three-fourths of Jefferson's, the South. Public opinion in eighteen hundreds difficult to gauge. Only five states, down from seven in seventeen ninety-six, permitted qualified voters to elect the members of the electoral college. This is what I wanted to get to. Only five states, down from seven in seventeen ninety-six permitted the qualified voters to elect the members of the Electoral College. State legislatures made the choice in the remaining 11 states. Now I'm going to stop there. No, I'm not saying we want this today. Why did I take the long way around to explain this? Because the way the framers of the Constitution viewed the state legislatures... The state legislatures were where the power was to be when it came to the choosing of electors, not governors, not secretaries of states, certainly not courts, the state legislatures. And early in our history, early in our history, they would even make the choice on the electors. without qualified voters, electing members of the Electoral College. So I wanted you to understand this. Now, when we have so-called prominent lawyers, professors, former judges, former attorneys general, testifying that there was no fraud. This is a very sloppy way to explain things. Very sloppy. And intentionally so. First of all, I told you what the U.S. attorney wrote from Philadelphia about how they clamped down on him not to say anything and not to do anything. That's what he accuses Barr of doing. Nobody's pursued that in this... Fantastic investigation to get to the bottom of everything. But putting that aside, put it aside. Put the drop boxes aside, put the signatures aside, put the dating aside, put the put it all aside. How can you be a former attorney general or a former appellate court judge or a former Justice Department or whatever you are? Whether you like Trump or hate Trump, put it aside. And not acknowledge the fact that in certain states. Like Pennsylvania. The federal constitution was violated. Now that may not be technically fraud. But it is technically a violation of the federal constitution. The court recognized that in Bush versus Gore or if you prefer Gore versus Bush, but you get the point. But this Supreme Court under John Roberts wouldn't do it. Nonetheless, you don't pretend it didn't happen because it can happen in the future. And by the way, this is one of Trump's points. If we don't get this fixed now, it's never going to be fixed. I'm not a special pleader for anybody. I'm calling the shots here as I see them. I'm explaining to you that the state legislatures, when it came to electors, were considered early in our history as more relevant than even the voters. Because some states chose the electors, period. Again, I am not a special pleader for that process. I am explaining when you look at the Constitution. You gotta figure out what did they mean? You gotta look at the context. You gotta go back. You gotta look at the context. Now let's move up. So in the state, Supreme Court in Pennsylvania, five to two Democrats. Changed the laws for electing electors for president and vice president in the state, as the U.S. attorney said they did, as litigation said they did. And the U.S. Supreme Court refuses to take up the case. So the final decision is by the very state Supreme Court that is violating the federal constitution. Why is it so difficult to say that when you're before this Stalinist committee of Congress? Why isn't there a video of Bill Barr pointing that out? Or anybody else, to my knowledge, maybe there is and they're sitting on it. Because that's a fact. That's the truth. We've had very difficult and complicated elections in the past. This isn't the only one. This isn't the only one where parties have attempted to get electors to change. I mean, I haven't even gotten to 1876 yet. I haven't even gotten to that yet. If anybody wants to hear about it after the break.
1: I'll be right back. Mark Levin.
0: To get your free subscription, go to LevinForHillsdale.com right now. L E V I N for Hillsdale.com. What's the point of all this? These aren't coups. This is nitty gritty political fisticuffs where the loser claims to be a winner and the winner. Claims to be the winner, and they duke it out using the political process. That's not obstruction. Well, Trump had to know what he was doing. Uh, was was uh, He had no constitutional avenue. He had a lawyer who said he did. Well, then. Trump had to know he lost. There was no fraud. Well, he thought there was. He felt there was. You're going to charge a man with crimes? You're going to accuse him of a coup trying to overturn an election? The election hadn't been decided yet until the electors vote. That's how the Constitution works. 1824, the Federalist Party had dissolved. All four candidates for president were Democratic-Republicans, all within the same party. Old Hickory, Andrew Jackson, hero of the War of 1812, won the popular vote. By around 39,000 ballots and captured 99 electoral college votes, Secretary of State John Quincy Adam took 84 electoral votes with 41 going to Treasury Secretary William Crawford, 37 to House Speaker Henry Clay. As no candidate had earned a majority of electoral votes. The election again went to the House of Representatives. Henry Clay was eliminated from contention. So there were three candidates left. After a month of backroom negotiations. Clay supporters largely threw their weight behind Adams, enabling him to win the House vote as states that had cast most of their electoral votes for Jackson, Maryland, Illinois, Louisiana, and Kentucky, now turned in favor of Adams. And when Adams chose Clay as his Secretary of State, soon after his inauguration, and unraised Andrew Jackson called it a corrupt bargain. So Clay threw his support behind Adams, and then Adams appoints him Secretary of State. Quitting his Senate post, he vowed to come back and win in 1828, which he did. Toppling Adams. And here's the big one, 1876. Democratic governor of New York, Samuel Tilden, won 250,000 more ballots in the popular vote than his Republican opponent, Rutherford B. Hayes, and snagged 19 more Electoral College votes. But Tilden was still... One electoral vote short of the required majority of 185. And 20 votes remained uncounted. Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina remained too close to call as each party accused the other of fraud. And while in Oregon an elector was declared illegal and replaced with controversial results, as the crisis mounted, threats of another civil war loomed in an unprecedented move. Congress established a 15-member commission of senators, congressmen, Supreme Court justices, including seven Democrats and Republicans and an independent to decide the election. And after the swing vote turned in Hayes' favor, he was awarded all 20 electoral votes from the disputed states, giving him the 185. And after the Democrats threatened to filibuster and block the official voting count, the issue was settled in negotiation. Democrats would accept Hayes' victory, provided that Hayes removed all federal troops from the South. And there's more to it than that. And that led to this federal statute everybody raves around, which is about as convoluted as it gets. Anybody obstructing, Judge? Well, they knew they lost, but look at this. They kept fighting. They knew they lost. We've got testimony. And they didn't have a constitutional option. We know that. We know that because Bill Barr said it. That's not how this works. I'm not condoning violence at the Capitol. This has nothing to do with that. The disgusting effort to criminalize these battles, to bring in a a Biden-appointed U.S. attorney in Washington, D.C., a Biden-appointed attorney general has already demonstrated how corrupt, politically corrupt he is, to indict the former president because he fought to the end, to disbar the lawyer or lawyers who gave him advice. He was already impeached while he was out of office, unprecedented? How far are we gonna go with this, ladies and gentlemen? Everything I explain to you is rejected by the media. They're too stupid to understand it or they just don't give a, you know what? They just don't care. That we study history for a reason. They destroy history for a reason. We study history for a reason. The effort to turn electors in state legislatures is not a crime. And it was unsuccessful. The effort to pursue all avenues to look for fraud, whether people agree with it or not, is not a crime. In any way. And yet we have a U.S. attorney who says that the Attorney General of the United States told him not to. Told him not to. This is an abomination. And I have to spend time discussing it because I, I don't who the hell will. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk.
1: He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin.
0: You can run the best campaign, you can even become the nominee, and you can have the election stolen from you.
2: That is where they are in this issue now, that Russia was, behind, was was not only interfering, but was trying to deliver this election to Donald Trump. Do You have this very real skepticism about how legitimate was this election. It wasn't simply that Russia uh, uh, got engaged or involved in hacking the election, but did so to, to favor Trump. I think this is a constitutional crisis. I mean, is, was the president legitimately elected? And you can have the election stolen from you.
0: Then what it suggests, potentially, is that the election was in some sense illegitimate. And I don't know where you go from there. So do you think that Trump in any way is an illegitimate president because of the Russian involvement? I mean, the Electoral
1: College before the 19th has got to know whether the Russians had an effect.
0: The Electoral College should behave as it was designed to behave and as it was explained by Alexander Hamilton in the Federalist Papers. It should deny him an Electoral College victory. And I would like to see the evidence, because if the evidence is there, I don't see any other way than
1: to, to vote again, I mean, I as an American citizen. The election stolen from you.
0: Hmm. Awful lot of people thought it was okay to, quote-unquote, tinker with the Electoral College, didn't they, Mr. Producer? Nobody was charged with obstruction, there wasn't a special Stalinist committee with hand Democrats and never Trumpers. There's a big piece in the Washington Compost, another joke, and then I want to move on to the economy. Big piece in the Washington Compost by Michael Cranish. Michael Cranish, who used to uh, run a deli in, uh, in northeast Philadelphia, Mr. Producer. Not really. Jeffrey Clark, a mid-level Justice Department official, wanted Trump to name him Attorney General in a plan aimed at potentially overturning the election. It never happened. But he wanted to do it. Well, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it. But he wanted to, but he didn't. While wow, there were letters written we have to figure out who wrote what and what they meant and what the intention was and they wanted to install this guy clark so they trash clark you gotta trash clark you're gonna build up bar you gotta trash clark oh Clark wanted to be appointed so he could obstruct the election, the outcome, and have a soft coup, as Adam Kingsinger put it today, without challenge. And Clark, of course, is nothing more than an environmental lawyer at the firm of Kirkland and Hillis. Clark would soon emerge as someone interested in pursuing Trump's claims. He found a key ally in Representative Scott Perry, one of the earliest proponents of Trump's voter fraud claims. Perry later told radio station WITF that he had worked with Clark on various legislative matters over the previous four years. When Perry called Donahue in late December, that was the Deputy Attorney General, to complain that the Justice Department hadn't sufficiently investigated the election, he mentioned Clark as someone who could really get in there and do something about it. Oh, my God, there's conspiracies everywhere. But it was thoroughly investigated. And everybody was determined to be a lunatic. Remember? A letter from William McSwain, the U.S. attorney, who had been in Eastern District of Pennsylvania, not an easy district with Philadelphia. Remember what he said to Donald Trump when he wanted Trump's endorsement for governor. On election day and afterwards, our office received various allegations of voter fraud and election irregularities. As part of my responsibilities as U.S. attorney, I wanted to be transparent with the public and, of course, investigate fully any allegations. Attorney General Barr, however, instructed me not to make any public statements or put out any press releases regarding possible election irregularities. I was also given a directive to pass along serious allegations to the state attorney general for investigation. That's the same state attorney general already declared that you couldn't win. I disagree with that decision, but those were my orders. Wow. And so there were rumblings at the highest levels of the Department of Justice that they needed somebody in place who would dig in and start to look at these things. No! That's a soft coup. No. No, they wouldn't accept the results. In Sheldon Whitehouse, remember that? Reprobate? Remember him? Yes, Clark was working on behalf of others not yet identified. Had to be. House committee unanimously voted to hold Clark in contempt of Congress after he declined in December to answer most questions on ground that his interactions with Trump were privileged. Whatever happened to attorney-client privilege in this country? Does it only apply to Democrats? It's, it's, It's like thrown around, like it means nothing. Judges are violating it, like this guy Judge Carter in Central California. The committee... They'll hold you in contempt if you don't violate it. The American Bar Association and the State Bar and D.C. Bar, they don't care about attorney-client privilege. What the hell's happened? You can't have representation if you're a Republican? Apparently not. Clark later appeared before the committee and asserted his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, CNN reported. His testimony from the appearance has not been released. See, they try to humiliate people. So you got to sit there and say, I cannot answer. I plead the fifth. I cannot answer. Then they have the leak to CNN. And then they want the video to play. He must be guilty. He's pleading the fifth. No, you're violating the privilege. No. Well, we have it on tape. He's pleading the fifth. And Sheldon Whitehouse... I think he's still part of a club that doesn't accept Jews or blacks, Mr. Producer. But don't worry, he's a Democrat. Participate in the Judiciary Committee's investigation said investigators should key on whether Clark was working on behalf of others not yet identified. Certainly could be a symptom of a much larger, more coherent plan that has currently been disclosed. Clark does not appear to have elections expertise or experience, which raises the question, did he really sit down at his computer and type it out? This is some letter. Who wrote the letter? What letter? Who cares? Who cares? No, no, you don't understand. There's a letter. But the president didn't do anything. No.
1: There's a letter. Got to get the letter.
0: The letter. This is bigger than we thought. It's big. It's a letter. A letter. Letter. I thought you guys were investigating the attack on the Capitol building. No, we want the letter. Got to get the letter. Yes. History is calling, Clark told the president in a meeting, according to a deposition from Donahue. This is our opportunity. We can get this done. Donahue urged Trump, that's the Deputy Attorney General, not to put Clark in charge, calling him not competent. Warning of mass resignations by the Department of Justice officials who became the nation's top law enforcement official. By the way, I'm not saying I supported this. I didn't. I wouldn't. But that's not my point. need the letter. Well, the person who knows about the failure to secure the building is Nancy Pelosi. No. Nancy appointed all of us. We're here to protect her. Don't you understand? Everybody was livid when Clark met with Trump on his own. The acting attorney general, Rosen, was livid. Livid. Clark already made an impression on the president. The next day, Trump told Rosen in a phone call that people are very mad with justice. So what? Trump never did it. He didn't do it. So far, you guys at the Post have written, you know, you know it's amazing when you sit back and think about this. We have a president of the United States who is destroying this country internally and externally. With The Iranians about to have nuclear missiles. With the Chinese about to invade Taiwan. With Russia now advancing on the Ukrainians, and it's very, very concerning. The military is not focused on being built up to potentially confront China. Instead, they had their big LGBTQ day-to-day The nation is not being focused because we don't have a leader or a statesman, let alone somebody who can chew gum and walk at the same time in the Oval Office. And this is where the media are taking us. One rabbit hole after another. One rabbit hole after another. I'll be right back.
1: love, in.
0: Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest. I was nervous at first thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N-PODCAST and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Podcast. You know, big tech thinks they can decide for everyone what's true and what's misinformation. And they're urged on by members of the Biden administration. I want you to hear this. 18, Mr. Producer, I want you to hear Gina McCarthy, White House National Climate Advisor. She's on Axios today. Axios is run by the likes of Johnny Swan, who's really, really focused in on uh, the key issues of the day. Cut 18, go.
1: And so the challenge is now that we're
2: moving from denial to actually just trying to to disengage the public from understanding the values of solar energy, the values of wind energy, the benefits of clean energy, we have to get tighter. We have to get better at communicating. And frankly, the tech companies have to stop allowing specific individuals over and over again to spread disinformation. That That's what the fossil fuel companies pay for. That's what folks who make money out of fossil fuels and don't. Hey, idiot.
0: May I call you idiot? She sounds like uh, Yellen, the secretary of treasury. They both sound like uh, head cases, quite frankly. So anybody who raises questions about what you're doing is paid off by the oil industry. You folks out there paying over five dollars a gallon for gasoline. That's regular unleaded. Are you spokesman and spokeswoman for the oil industry? Is that what's going on here? I mean, you're going to buy all this Marxist claptrap, and what is she talking about solar energy? Where do we go to get our solar energy? Well, you got to put the panels on the roof, and you're going to where are the panels going to come from? Mostly China, and I spent a lot of time last night talking about in the third hour these batteries. What it takes to make these batteries. They're an environmental nightmare. Nightmare. And by the way, ask any firefighter when they catch on fire if they can even put them out. Why can't we have a documentary on batteries in electrical vehicles? Killers. But as I was explaining, notice she said you need to shut up. Stop spreading disinformation. You, you, or we're going to denounce you as part of the oil companies. So stop complaining. Pay the gasoline prices. Or you'll be accused of being an oil executive, which is worse than being a violent Marxist. Let's talk about the economy. Joe Biden takes responsibility for nothing. Then he starts yelling like a lunatic, but he is a lunatic. Let's go, let's listen to some of this. He was talking to his buddies at the AFL-CIO convention in Philadelphia. Well, I'm from Philadelphia. I've got a lot of friends in the AFL-CIO and they despise him.
2: Cut one, go. And by the way, Republicans like to portray me as some kind of big spender. We have spent a lot of money. Let's compare the facts. Under my predecessor, the deficit exploded, raising rising every single year, and all of the benefit going to the top one percent, basically. Under my plan, last year, we cut the deficit by three hundred and fifty billion.
0: All right, let's so let's 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 think rationally here, which he's incapable of. Exploding the deficit to help the top 1%. Is that what happened? What does he even mean by that? The tax cuts mostly went to the bottom, not the top. And it's time we stop lying about this. There are people on the poor end of the spectrum who get tax rebates who've never paid a penny in taxes. He says, we cut the deficit by $350 billion. He didn't cut the deficit by two cents. They've had the g- greatest revenue from we the taxpayers in American history. The greatest revenue from these confiscatory taxes in American history. And then he says, we cut the deficit. Well, you can't spend $3.5 trillion beyond the money you have every single year. If the Build Back Better spending hadn't been blocked, he wouldn't have been cutting the deficit by $350 billion. He would have added to it by 5 to $6 trillion. Look at this nut job who's running this country. But instead, they're chasing Trump. we got to get Trump. I'll be right back. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest. I was nervous at first thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N-PODCAST and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo
1: code Levin Podcast. Mark Levin, America's think tank. And you can call him at 877-381-3811.
0: By the way, the media are on the trail. On Ginny Thomas. Every 48 hours, they have a story on the wife of Clarence Thomas. Why? Because they're racists. They don't like this interracial marriage, apparently. Why else? What else explains this? NBC. Ginny Thomas became an anti-cult activist after being pulled out of a self-help program in the 80s. She said in a video obtained by NBC News, they obtained it. Wow. And several people who knew her then are surprised by her apparent embrace of election conspiracies that originated with QAnon. See how they try to destroy people? Who is Sotomayor's spouse? Do we know, Mr. Producer? Do we even know if she has one? How about Elena Kagan? Is she married? Who's Breyer's wife? Is she still with us? How come we never know about their spouses or boyfriends or girlfriends or what have you? How come we never know? How come we don't know? How come they're not examined like this? What up? Why are they targeting Clarence Thomas? A black man. You see, Judge Jackson is also in an interracial marriage, but we don't talk about that. And she's just so fantastic. Tell us about her husband. No. Don't go there. Don't go there. Well, tell us about her rulings where she was soft on child pornographers. No, don't go there. What are you, a white supremacist? Well, no, did she marry a white supremacist? No, 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 hey. Only certain people can be white supremacists, like Clarence Thomas. But he's not what doesn't matter. He's a conservative and they're white supremacists, by definition. So they're going after Jenny Thomas. Well, that's just kind of shocking, isn't it, America? And this piece is written by somebody named Alan Smith and Alex Seitz-Wald. I don't even know if that's a male or a female. Am I allowed to ask? I think not. Are you with or without? May I ask? Because it's obviously pertinent to everything. And I don't know their races. May I ask? Nope. Nope. Alan Smith and Alex Seitz-Wald. Of NBC News two sleazebags two sleazebags why do they dig into families and they want to know all except of course except of course when it comes to Nancy Pelosi they didn't fight for the mugshot of Paul Pelosi Jesse did they're not fighting for the video he walked a straight line. We don't know if he was out and about town. If he get my drift or went to a party and just had a few, we don't know anything and we're never going to know. Why is it that we know more about Ginny Thomas or more lies about Ginny Thomas than we know the truth about Joe Biden and $30 million that that crooked family and this Manchurian candidate have gotten? Why is that? Maggie? And Johnny Swan, what's it, Swan or Swain, whatever the hell his name is. He's a Brit. I can tell he burps, you know, when he speaks. Why is that? Why is it that some women are treated one way and some women are treated another? Like, what do we really know about Michelle Obama? Nothing, and we'll never know anything. Why do they keep persisting with Jenny Thomas? We know why. It's to smear the whole Thomas family, as much as they possibly can. Tell me, anybody know Alex or Alan, the authors here, the so-called reporters, know anything about their childhood or when they were teenagers? Anything? I'm just curious. Because apparently this is... How about the president of NBC News. Better yet, how about the chairman of the board of Comcast? Anybody know anything about him? How about the CEO at the Washington Compost, Fred Ryan? Anything know, anybody know anything about him? Personal lives, apparently. That's okay. Yes, you know, when I knew Ginny, uh, these... It's it's just sickening, absolutely sickening, these frauds. Thomas' involvement with Lifespring, an organization advertising training seminars purporting to help participants unlock almost superhuman potential, left her wondering what it was about herself that allowed her to be drawn in. Uh, Who cares? Who cares? NBC News. The Iranians are getting nukes. do I have to keep repeating this? The Chinese are going to invade Taiwan. Russia is now defeating Ukraine. We got fentanyl coming across the border with MS-13, illegal immigrants, up the wazoo, may I say, and I think I did. We've got the Biden administration that's destroying this country and turning it inside out. The currency is getting brutalized. Prices are through the roof. The average person can't afford it, and it's going to get worse. And they're writing a story about Ginny Thomas in 1980. 1980. This would be the same NBC News or Meet the Depressed with that clown. What's his name? Chuck Todd. Chuck? Anybody know anything about Chuck Todd when he was young? Anybody? About his wife. Who's his wife? How about Stephanopoulos? The dwarf. What about him? Anybody know anything about him? Come on, we need to know everything. Maybe we should look into the spouses of Supreme Court justices. I just don't know. First of all, if they're all married or which way they go. Well, not that that matters, but if we're going to celebrate LGBTQI+, we might as well know, right? Who to celebrate and who not to celebrate. I would say, Alan Smith and Alex Seats walled with a dash. Very hip. Alan with two L's, very hip. Yeah, very sickening how they go after a justice and the justice's wife. No pushback whatsoever. This is constant, constant. <sighs> She was involved. In what? In encouraging people to challenge what was going on during the election. Oh my God. Tell me that's not true. Oh, she was. According to the committee, and when the committee speaks, everybody listens. It's the truth. How do we know? It just is. Seven Democrat reprobates and two Trump hating, reprobates. And the committee has said that she was, how do we know? They leaked it. Ooh, well, they could use a pair of depends. No, you don't understand. They leaked it to the media. Oh. She was involved? Yes, yes. Shh. I, I. Joe Biden. Let's go to this. Cut three, go.
2: I'm asking, all I'm asking is for the largest corporations and the wealthiest Americans to begin to pay. No, hair. you're not,
0: you uh, mental midget. You've driven inflation through the roof. Gas prices for that. All I ask is that the wealthy Americans pay their fair here. You jerk. Look what you've done. Look what you've done to this country. All I'm asking, Alan Smith and Alexis Seatswald, what do you think of this? You're stuck in the 19th. What do you think? Hey, Alan Smith and Alexa seats I have an idea. What? 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 Joe Biden? Yeah. Was a segregationist. (gasps) Don't tell us that. Yes, he was. Would you like to look into that? No, we're very busy. Really? Yes. We finished with Ginny Thomas. Now we're looking into Sam Alito's wife. Oh. Yes very very busy here cut four go
2: our work isn't done but here's the deal
0: oh now that's frightening The work isn't done and here's the deal what is he what is this guy what's the deal there Joe what's the deal go ahead
2: it still has a choice to make
0: A choice between a government by the few for the few. What the hell are you? Government by the few for the few. Grow from the middle up. The bottom guy has no idea. They write these words, these Marxist crap words. By the few for the few. By the few for the few. He wants you to believe that it's the rich causing all these problems and Putin causing all these problems and the Republicans. The American people are onto this guy. For his entire life, he's been a lowlife. That's right. Write it down and regurgitate it. He's been a lowlife. He was a lowlife in the Senate. Nobody would listen to Tara Reid. Was that her name, Tara Reid? Why? Chasing Ginny Thomas. Why didn't they chase Tara Reed and get her story? She was willing to talk. Wow, we, we have a narrative. We can't affect that. Go ahead.
2: Our government for all of us. Democracy for all of us. An economy where all of us have a ah, fair
0: Shut son. up, you idiot. What the hell does he think we have? Joe Biden's now president. Now we'll have a government for all of us. Now the rich will pay their fair share. Hey, we're running out of tampons, Joe. We're running out of baby food, Joe. We're running out of gasoline, Joe. You schmuck. You did this. I'll be right back.
1: Mark Levin.
0: Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest. I was nervous at first, thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Podcast. that's L-E-V-I-N PODCAST, and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Podcast. You know who's sharp? Sharp young and this Ben Dominic. He's a sharp guy, isn't he, Mr. Producer? I think he is. I don't know him. I don't believe I've ever even spoken to him. But... Uh, Pretty sharp dude, I think. I don't want to play more Biden. If I want to play Biden, I go to an insane asylum. I put on a secret microphone. And uh, there you can, you know, a lot of Biden speak going on. They're gibberish. Hey, here's the deal. You know. Here's the deal. He's going to Saudi Arabia to beg for oil. you imagine if Trump did that? Going to Saudi Arabia to beg for oil and the media's all for him even though Saudi Arabia apparently killed this journalist guy. Oh, no big deal. Venezuela, slaughtering people left and right. Eh, gotta gotta get oil from... but, But Americans? No, no, we can't get oil from America. Now, tell me the rationality behind that. I can tell you what it is. They're seeking to control America, not Saudi Arabia, not Venezuela. Control America and Americans... And bring down our industrial capitalist system. That's what's going on. So they would rather have import, oil, imp oil rather imported from Saudi Arabia and Venezuela and countries like that into the United States than have Americans relying on Americans for fossil fuels. That is exactly what's taking place. Sonny Hostin, as you know, is a reprobate. She pretends to be a lawyer. I don't have enough time to play this clip now, Mr. Producer. I will play this next hour because it's worthy of playing. Not because what she says is so good. It's because it's so bad. In fact, that whole crowd, the view, the view, the yentas on the view, and they always have Republicans, or at least lately, of course, who are not really full-throated conservatives. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Trump's not good. Yeah, I agree. The Republicans. Yeah, I Meanwhile, these fools, this Houston... What kind of lawyer was she, Mr. Producer? I wonder what kind of lawyer she was. Slip-and-fall lawyer? Ambulance chaser? Or big-time lawyer? I don't know. She's on the view. She must be smart. I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government. And they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read The Secret War on Cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution. Against all freedom-loving Americans. So, you need to read The War on Cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492. 800-630-1492. Or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. He's
1: here. He's here. He's here.
0: I hope you saw our Fox show on Sunday. It was number one primetime again. And we had our buddy Pete Hegseth on the program. And uh, Pete is a hero. He's a combat vet. He's still fighting for Americans' freedom. And he and his co-author have written a fabulous book, Battle for the American Mind, Uprooting a Century of Miseducation. Now, you've been hearing about it all day. You heard about it on Sunday. And I want to encourage you to go to uh amazon.com or you can order it right now or any major books or the reason you're hearing about it is because it's so vital pete hagseth how are you
2: i'm doing great mark thanks so much for having me
0: it's a pleasure getting worn out yet
2: (laughs) never you know you you and i are cause guys this is what we live to do to try to spread the word so i'm just humbled to have the opportunity to be on with you and your great listeners
0: so you wrote this book um When did you start this book? Was there a specific thing that motivated you? Had it been in your mind for years? Was it the CRT stuff with the virus? What was it exactly?
2: Mark, honestly, it had been on my mind and on my heart for years. You know, as someone who read what you've written uh, across from from Americanism to to, uh, American Marxism, understanding the depth of what the left had done in our culture, in our politics, I still had this itching sense that, like you did with American Marxism, it's all deeper. And specifically in the education system, for some reason, I've always been interested in that. And it was actually the beginning of 2020, before COVID, that I was introduced through a wonderful family in North Carolina during a Fox & Friends segment to David Goodwin, who runs the Association of Classical Christian Schools. He was doing research about the roots of the progressive takeover, why and how they did it over a hundred years ago, and I was fascinated by it. And I was asking questions, and we were going back and forth. And he didn't—he didn't know as much about the modern manifestation. And it just became clear between the two of us we should work together. We didn't know each other at all, um, but it, two Christians, patriots, passionate about education. He's made it his life work for two decades. I've been wanting to write a book on education for. Five years, well before this all started, and it just became clear, let's work together. Uh, And we did, and he started from the the 1870s, and I started from what we're seeing now, and we, we put our research together, basically met in the middle in the 1950s and 60s, and the picture became clear. Like, this was a plot, not necessarily that they knew exactly where it was going, but each successive generation, and we can get into the details on that, was intentional about getting control of our youngest of minds. Books have been written, the closing of the American mind, uh the coddling of the American mind about higher education. And we said, now it's time to write a book about K through 12. And I'm a parent. I've got seven kids under the age of 12 who I'm in charge of crafting as future citizens and, and, and faith-filled human beings, and I wanted to get the right education for them as well.
0: Now, it's a big undertaking, and what you're doing in this book is taking people through, as you say, the trajectory here to today and what we do about it, but let's, let's start with the teachers' unions. <laughs> These teachers' unions, when did they start and what have they become?
2: The teachers' unions actually started in the mid 1800s, and they were they were very conservative teacher associations that were associations of teachers who wanted to make sure they had the best material for their kids. And they and they, what was the main source for their material? the classics and the bible scripture was what they used as the baseline for education that was still the case in the early nineteen hundreds the beginning of the twentieth century all the way to the thirties and forties and even fifties there were pamphlets being passed out by teachers associations then the public sector union movement started uh... which was which was enabled by uh... president kennedy and and ultimately uh, enshrined and the public sector union movement basically took the labor movement took over these teachers associations and when and and the people who were a part of that were tied to the educational takeover guys like john Dewey so John Dewey who's the the founder of the modern progressive school in America and we talk about him a lot in the book and you know him very well uh, he is the he's the uh honorary lifetime president of the National Education Association, today's NEA, and he is the founding member of the AFT, the American Federation of Teachers. So the two most powerful unions in America today go back to a socialist atheist in Dewey who believed in taking over these associations. He could centralize his philosophies of atheism and humanism into the school system, and he was very successful, and eventually the unions were enshrined uh, with their power in the Department of Education when they overwhelmingly voted for Jimmy Carter and he gave them their biggest gift ever in the Department of Education when he became president.
0: And I want people to know, because I was there, when Ronald Reagan became president, he wanted to get rid of the Department of Education. And you know who blocked him, Pete? The Republicans in the Senate. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, they, they became a majority because they won on his coattails and they blocked him. And this is the problem with the rhinos, too. And you have people like Lisa Murkowski. Uh, she's in the back pocket of the National Education Association. That's the one Republican they always point to. Why? Because they have several million members, and on Election Day they work the precincts, don't they?
2: Oh, yes. They're a, they're, they are the most powerful arm of the modern Democrat Party in American politics Today, uh, and they have been for quite some time and they do it to protect their power base. They have a monopoly on public education. They know they want to keep the money d- being delivered because they know they're not delivering excellence in the classroom. They're always professing we're a few billion dollars away from utopia, and they're in bed with out and Marxists. You know this. They it, they partner directly and openly with the Howard Zinn Project. You know all about Howard Zinn mm-hmm. and his book, A People's History, which is the U.S. history written from the Soviet perspective. They openly partner with Black Lives Matter. They openly partner with the LGBT lobby. They find every leftist cause they can affix themselves to it, advocate for it, and then push it into the teachers' colleges and the curriculums and the pedagogy of what they teach. Teach. and in order to maintain that grip they give mo- millions and millions of dollars every election cycle mostly to democrats but also to rhinos who will protect that power base and that's how they ensure things common sense things like school choice uh and vouchers never happen. and they all- also tried to outlaw homeschooling and other forms of private and christian schooling throughout their history as well
0: Now, in addition to schools pushing God out of the classroom and prayer and everything related to it, same thing with the public square. Why is this necessary? Dewey and the others, the progressives, which are really the uh, the progeny of Marx uh, Mm -hmm. in, in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Why is it necessary to clear the decks like that?
2: Uh, They had societal control in the mind, and they needed allegiance to the state as opposed to an allegiance to a higher power and the Judeo-Christian Western tradition. It uh, does come down to an understanding of the human condition, of our sinful nature, of our flawed nature, of our fallen nature, something our founders understood as central to the form of government, the republic that created to check the impulses of human nature. they, They saw what happened in Europe, and they wanted to prevent against it, and they drew on... The, the Western tradition, the canon, uh, great Enlightenment thinkers, and the Bible to understand that human nature. That is an immovable object when you get your truth, objective truth, from those sources. If you want to change that truth and focus your energy elsewhere, you have to remove it. So Dewey and others who were about atheists and socialists, but they actually looked— quite moderate in their era, surrounded by anarchists and communists, that they said instead was, we're patriots who want, who believe the industrial economy needs skilled laborers who have an allegiance to the state. And so they very deftly removed God from schools, and they wrote about it in the New Republic openly. They weren't hiding this. We didn't have to uncover this. We just read about it. And you, you've done this research, too. When I read your books, you're taking it from original sources. They were open about their intentions, remove God, and replace it with a form of patriotism that was not about the spirit of 1776 or God-given rights, but about allegiance to the state. And they used things like a Pledge of Allegiance that didn't say under God, placing flags in the classroom and saying you, the state is, your, your, is the source of your rights and what you have allegiance to, no longer an almighty God. And it was a sleight of hand at the moment. Parents barely noticed as, as the God in the Bible was pulled out of the classroom, but they intentionally did it so that eventually they could move on to more radical social change.
0: Now this John Dewey we talk about is also the founding father, believe it or not, of modern journalism. And he's pointed to all the time, because Dewey, I'm just tell, I just want the public to know, and you'll read a lot about him in, in this great book, um, Battle for the American Mind, Uprooting a Century of Miseducation. Dewey was about brainwashing. Dewey was about not individuals thinking creatively and for themselves, but individuals thinking for their cause. And he travels to Moscow. Uh, when Stalin's in power in 1928, and he watches how these kids are being educated, and he's so impressed with it, he writes a piece in The New Republic. The New Republic was like the magazine for these people, yes. right? And he, infl- he lives into his 90s. He influences education. He influences journalism for his entire life. So, Pete, we haven't succeeded in breaking from this. Have we how do we get around this because this guy is the founding father of the destruction of public education and journalism?
2: Yes, he is. Yes, he is, and he went at the destruction of the liberal arts because, he, and, and, and specifically on the education side, because liberal arts is not has nothing to do with being liberal, and everything to do with liberating the mind. You liberate the mind to think critically and think freely, and that's how you avoid the demagoguery uh, or tyrants who sell you petty arguments that sound good on the surface but don't work. He sold it as. As exactly as you said, we need workers for a future economy who don't need to learn these, you know, dusty great books and old languages. We need to prepare them for skills of the future for which, which we will put them into and then utilize them in pawns in our scheme. And why haven't we, we come past it? Because he created the prototypes of the schools. Things like the Gary plan in Gary, Indiana, where they created a new school with a different prototype. The bell rings. Seven periods in school. Uh, you you have a pullout period for religious instruction they wrote about it and then they took it to New York and they tinkered with it further and then they proliferated around the country and you know this too uh, mark he was at the Columbia's Teachers College. So he got into the pipeline of how teachers were trained, the way in which they instructed, pushed them out to other elite universities and then city centers across the country. So while we were fighting wars overseas and trying to defend against communists inside our government, he was burrowing into the educational establishment, just like journalism, and creating a feedback loop, which incentivized allegiance to the state and uh, vocational training that got rid of traditional studies of history and civics and economics and philosophy and theology and replace them with the social sciences, which is really just an attempt to tear down uh, our Western, uh, he would call it the patriarchy. That's what the Marxists later on came and called it from the critical theorist of the Frankfurt School, as you wrote about as well. So future Marxists grabbed on to what he created in the institutions and took it to the next step.
0: Fantastic book, Battle for the American Mind, Uprooting a Century, Miseducation. You know, folks, parents and grandparents out there, this is an ongoing battle. Uh, you know, we won an election in, in Virginia. That's not enough, as Pete's going to explain later. There's two things going on here. One, you got to protect your own kids and grandkids. And number two, got to fight this system. We're the outsiders. Pete talks about us as being the insurrection. Uh, They're there. We are the outsiders now. They control everything. We pay for everything and they control everything. And I want to pursue this with you when we come back, which is, you know, we just keep paying and paying and paying and paying. And they just keep taking and taking and indoctrinating, whether it's about race, whether it's about sex, whether it's about Marxism versus capitalism. And I want to know what are the kinds of things that a parent should do about this? The book. Battle for the American Mind, Uprooting a Century, Miseducation. Folks, I'd go on Amazon right now. It's discounted right now. Grab it. It's the first day out. You'll get it tomorrow, and you'll be glad you did. I'll be right back.
1: love in
0: In one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape. And Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring they have the best deals online. Up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now, that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. Pete Hanks says the book. I predict it'll be a number one bestseller if the New York Times doesn't steal his first slot. Battle for the American Mind, Uprooting a Century, Miseducation. Probably the most thorough book written on this subject that I can recall. And uh, very, very readable, but there's a lot of good information in it. Uh, Pete Hegg said, so I'm a parent, let's say, of a uh, third grader. My kid's being exposed to all kinds of sexuality. We don't live in Florida. We live in California. Being exposed to all kinds of sexuality. My kid's being called either a victim or a perpetrator. Uh, They're being taught things that go against my faith and my belief system. And I can't afford to pull my kid out and send my kid to private school, whether it's a faith school or another school. And I have to work. What do I do?
2: Well, first of all, you're doing the right thing by recognizing that, and more and more people are waking up to it. So being vigilant is the first task of a parent. Then I would say uh, if you absolutely have no other alternative, then you better be all over every aspect of your kid to include being willing to show up at the school with your teacher, to the principal, at the school board meeting. Most people don't have time to do that, and understandably so. Mm-hmm. I do think we have to disavow ourselves of the view that we can deprogram our kids over dinner at night or at church on Sunday and hope that that will undo the 40 hours a week that that third grader has with the authority figure in their classroom. That's the scary part. When I was in third grade, eighth grade, even 11th grade, I was, my family was mostly apolitical. When I when my teachers spoke, I listened. I What they said was gospel, and now these teachers are saying, your parents— you know, don't listen to them. They're old thinking. Here's how, we Here's how we think about education now. So deprogramming may work if you're all over it, if you're very proactive. And you might have a kid who can be salt and light in that, in that school. But most likely, the group think, the social media, the social pressure, the reinforcement at school will overwhelm most children. My advice, if you can find any way to do it, is to pull them out pull them out of the government schools, and find an alternative. And yes, I'm a big believer in classical Christian schools. They're far more affordable than most most private schools or Catholic schools or elite schools. They have scholarship programs. They work with families to get them in there, and there are over 500 across the country and in 46 states. If you can't do that, there are homeschooling options. There are hybrid options. There are online curriculum options. There are some days in school, some days out of school. There are more options today today if you are a conservative or a Christian or a patriot, to educate your kids. And I would just, this is a challenge to parents, because I've had to make the same decisions and sacrifices. What would you not sacrifice to ensure that your kid is as prepared as they can be to be a, uh, a faith-filled patriot moving into the next phase of their life? We, we can't uh-huh. outsource and hope that they'll survive.
1: And so I've got to I, take a be
2: proactive and aggressive.
0: That's Pete Hegseth. We're coming back with Pete. Battle for the American Mind Uprooting a Century Miseducation. Somebody told me the other day that parents are getting together in neighborhoods who have some kind of life's experience. And they're homeschooling as a group so they don't have to be there each and every day. I thought that was a pretty cool idea. All right. We'll be right back with Pete Hegseth.
1: americans meet to defend liberty and defeat tyranny call the mark levin show now at 877-381-3811
0: pete hegseth the book is battle for the american mind uprooting a century of miseducation pete hegseth um, once parents figure out how to raise their children the most precious thing they have and you're exactly right you have to change the way we do things now unfortunately You cannot rely on the public schools anymore. In fact, you shouldn't rely on them for anything. What do we do about these institutions that take our money? So let's start this way. The teachers union. Why is it that this union is not covered by the antitrust laws? It's a public sector union. It's not a private sector union.
2: It's a public sector union. It should be unconstitutional, as you know better than I. They're on both sides of the negotiating table, and they use that to leverage maximum amount of money and maximum amount of political control with no accountability for the actual excellence they deliver in the classroom because they don't have to. So you talked about our insurgency, and the first part of an insurgency is doing right by your kids in your moment. And then it comes to policymakers. You talked about Glenn Youngkin. Conservatives, Republicans, Patriots should make education a number one, and we should start by defunding the unions, targeting their political control, going at their unconstitutional control of the system, and then making the argument robustly everywhere we can for universal educational tax credits. Call them vouchers, call them whatever you want. The dollars follow the kids. The parents have the control. The teachers' unions and the schools have to respond to, the, to an actual demand. And when they do, you might see some change. That's the closest thing we can get to accountability. Until then, it, the only option is to pull them out and send them elsewhere.
0: What about these education departments in these colleges and universities? Oh. Shouldn't we attack that, too?
2: Oh, they're the worst. They are, they are the wokest of the woke inside Woke universities are education departments, and we need to create our own ecosystem. So there are, you know, whether it's University of Dallas or Hillsdale or Liberty or other, there are universities that are creating their own education departments to create generations of classically trained teachers to uh, to go out into these schools and others. I, you tell me what we can do about it because right now those edu- it's a cartel of higher education where they control who gets in, who teaches, who graduates, and what's taught. And that's not changing anytime soon. So trying to fight I'll that give you an idea. is virtuous, but tough.
0: I think, particularly in these Republican states with the Republican legislatures and a Republican governor, we're going to begin starving these colleges and universities. Now, what do I mean by that? Taking their tax dollars away and uh, making them compete like private universities and schools do for their money. They're sitting on billions and billions of dollars of uh, of grant money and donations. And uh, it is the one area where apparently people aren't upset when you look at, uh, at the costs. You know, the trial lawyers, the professors and the teachers unions, that's the heart of the Democrat Party power. Yes. And so when Republicans are in power, they should go after it, oversight, audits. They should go after it, Uh, slashing funds to to these institutions because they're indoctrination mills. You know, the Soviet Union didn't die. They're alive and well in our education departments and journalism departments and so forth. And that's where all these people come from, right?
2: That's exactly right. We should take a lesson from Ron DeSantis in Florida who's taken on some of these institutions. The deep state at the state level oftentimes resides in the board of regents in these major public universities who control the, pop, the, the state politicians. Courageous governors should take them on. The people will be with them because of what COVID showed us about, you know, bringing the classroom into our homes and what they've done to our kids it is now politically palatable. Go back, Let's go back to the Department of Education, uh, uh, Mark. You talked about how Republicans wouldn't get rid of it when Reagan wanted them to. It's because it's hard to be against education. That's how they would live. You're against education because you want to get de- against uh, remove the Department of Education. No, I'm for education because I want to get rid of the cartel and the indoctrination that gives me no return on investment for my tax dollars.
0: Now, John Dewey wasn't alone. There were others, too, right?
2: many more. Uh, it was John Dewey, it was uh, Bellamy, it then became the Frankfurt School of Max Horkheimer and Herbert Marcuse, which you wrote about, glott in American Marxism. It was picked up by uh, the, the teachers' union's And then it it fast-forwards through many iterations to your Howard Zins, and then it goes to your Common Core's, and uh, the modern manifestations of your Randy White Gardens, who protect the system and are willing to lie to the public to protect their power. So they didn't all coordinate. It wasn't one giant conspiracy, but they all had the same goal of tearing down our Western civilization and American founding ideals so that they could be in control. Enslave our kids by limiting their ability to think freely so that they could tell them what to think.
0: And yet they have found a great power in the Democrat Party, haven't they?
2: The biggest power. Uh, mm-hmm. the, and the Democrat Party knows this now. And that's why they, they, they're counting on a voter factory coming out of these schools. They don't know how to grapple with it quite yet. You know, Joe Biden doesn't know, know what to do with the, the socialists. Uh, but he's kowtowing to them because he knows they're the future. They're counting on this pipeline, in addition to open borders, to be their future electorate. And, and that's, why, uh, that, that, that's why they protect it so much. And that's why it's so important for us to do something about it.
0: It is daunting. I think your book breaks it down brilliantly, beautifully. You inform people. You explain who's who. You explain how these institutions came to be why they are the way they are, and you have an entire chapter on what we can do about it in many ways. And uh, I think it's very, very important that people who are listening tonight think about what they're going to do with my kids. My daughter and son-in-law left California because of what was going on there in their schools. They have confronted similar problems in the schools in Tennessee, if you can believe it, even in these Republican mm. states. Uh, it, it, it just takes time to get a hold of them. You know, uh, DeSantis is really uh, the point of the spear. Yunkin has been outstanding in Virginia, yep. too. But but it's constant. You have to go to court. You have to fight them. And my point is, it took us 100 years to get here. It may take us 100 years to get out of it. But if we don't start today, it's not going to happen. And you're an old military guy, a young military guy. You know what I mean.
2: That's why we chose insurgency. It's the form of warfare of the strong, of the weak against the strong. And ultimately, we're going to have to regather, regroup, uh, find our, build our network, build our infrastructure, and then eventually, and continue to indict what they're doing and build our movement organically based on a response of the people. It might be a 100-year project, but as you know, it's well worth it. And, And Mark, I'd be remiss if I didn't say what I said to Rich in the break. We stand on your shoulders. You are on the Mount oh. Rushmore of patriots and conservatives that have, that have that sounded the clarion call. We're just attempting to continue the work you're, you're doing as well, and we're going to keep the fight.
0: You're way too gracious. I appreciate that. You're very, very kind, and uh, you're a really good man, good friend. And, folks, this is the book, Battle for the American Mind, Uprooting a Century Miseducation. If we don't get into this, we don't make sure our kids are properly educated. If we don't fight this this force, country's gone. Because it all starts and ends with education, right, Pete?
2: It sure does. They knew it, the progressives knew it, and they knew it wasn't just the universities. It's the formative minds of 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds. That's why they don't stop in college and high school. The sooner they can imprint a worldview on the affections and souls of young people, the more malleable uh, those minds are in the future. It's tougher to convert college kids, easier to convert 8-year-olds into mini-activists who are tougher to reverse in the future.
0: And and they've not only pushed God out of the classroom and faith out of the classroom, look what they've brought into the classroom to replace it. It's just absolutely an abomination. Pete, I want to thank you and your co author, Battle for the American Mind, uprooting a century miseducation. I know you poured your heart and soul into this and it really comes out in the pages. And God bless you, my friend.
2: Mark, thank you so much. What a pleasure uh, to be with you.
0: You take care of yourself. He is a fantastic human being. He is a great American patriot. Not just by name, but he went into the military as a combat veteran. And he came out and he's fighting now. And you know he's very entertaining. You watch him on Fox and so forth. Just really a nice man. There's nothing. He's he's unaffected by his popularity and so forth. And uh, he treats people like human beings, like we all should, and I try as well. But this is really a stellar book, Battle for the American Mind, Uprooting a Century of Miseducation. I encourage you, if you can, to get it. We'll be right back. Mark in It's funny how Biden and the Democrats keep talking about get that top 1% when they're screwing everybody. They really think you're stupid. They really think you're like the Democrat Party base. They talk about getting the rich and the rich need to pay taxes. They're killing us on our prices, on gas, on inflation, on baby formula. But they think you're stupid, like their base, that you're just going to fall for this. They're destroying everything. The classrooms, the border, immigration, the dollar, your pension. It's just, and, and, and let's get those guys. Yeah, divert your attention. No, 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 no. January 6th. Uh, no, no. Crow Russian separatists tell Ukrainian fighters in Severodonetsk, surrender or die. A military official in the Russian-backed separatist region of Donsk issued a stark warning to the remaining Ukrainian fighters in the besieged city of Severodonix. Sur- <coughs> Surrender or die. Ebra Busurin, the deputy leader of the Donetsk People's Republic, or the People's Militia, told reporters that the remaining soldiers were now trapped after the last bridge entering the city was destroyed. Severodonix is actually blocked after they blew up the last bridge that connected it with Lichanskins yesterday, today, Basarin said, according to the AP. Therefore, the Ukrainian military units that are stationed, there remain there forever. They have two options, either follow the example of their colleagues and surrender or die. They have no other option. On Tuesday, Kiev said that its forces were still holding out in Svarnatsk and that soldiers were trying to evacuate civilians holed up in the city. Officials have said that more than 500 people are trapped inside Azad, a chemical plant in the city. This is going on and on and on. Just like everything else, Biden is slow to do the right thing. In fact, he does the wrong thing. It's horrendous. What's going on here? This is why you do not hear, again, day after day I tell you this. You do not hear the Putinoids in the media, in the Republican Party, or the Democrat Party even talking about this. Because their guy is winning. Oh, he's not our guy, Mark. Come on. Their guy is winning. It's a bad thing when you watch what's happening to these people. All right. We're trying to find out what's going on in a few of these primary contests that are going on here because they are going on and uh, there are some interesting ones the house race in the Republican primary between Nancy Mace the incumbent and Arrington the Trump supported challengers too close to the call with 21% of the vote in 54 to 44% I'm looking elsewhere. Here you go. There is a member of the House, Republican by the name of Rice, Tom Rice, in the 7th District in South Carolina, who voted to impeach Trump and voted for the January 6th committee. 36% of the vote in. The incumbent, Rice, is losing to the insurgent, Fry, who's backed by Trump, 46 to 25% with 36% of the vote and that's all I have right now there's some interesting races elsewhere excuse I'm sneezing to the truth excuse me like in Nevada I hope our man Adam Laxalt pulls it off we shall see Uh, let's see here in the Democrat side They never really have a contest like James Clyburn is challenged uh, by somebody named Addison. He's got like 90 percent of the vote in the Democrat primary, you know. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters and emergency personnel, our truckers and the women and the men in Ukraine. We'll be back tomorrow. God bless you. See you then.